I did the most number of iron distance triathlons in a row, which is 105. Pushing your body to these limits. How do you train for something like that? If I do have a superpower, it is my headspace. It's a non-negotiable. Getting up and swimming 2.4 miles and cycling 112 miles and running a marathon, non-negotiable. It's like brushing your teeth. I put them in the same category and I just go and do it. Have you ever considered doing an Ironman or a triathlon? My next podcast guest has completed 102 Ironman challenges back to back over 102 days. Sean Conway is an extreme adventurer stroke athlete. We talk about some of his accolades, some of his world records and the future. Be happy, never content and make sure you're enjoying the episode and sharing the episode. Right, welcome back to the podcast, Stephen Sully Study. We're here on a fine Monday morning in Mayfair at the gallery, and I've got an incredible guy in front of me. I'm really looking forward to listening to your story, Sean. Sean Conway, thank you very much for reaching out, and I'm very, very much looking forward to having this really, really good, good conversation with yeah, you. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is an amazing space you got here. Yeah? Well done, mate. Thank, <laughs> I actually do ask a lot of the guests, even if they're not art collectors per se, or even fans of, 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 yeah. of some of the artists, what was your initial opinion on the current exhibition and some of the artworks up on the wall? Yeah, I mean, I, I know nothing about art, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, if I had space in my house, I think my ceiling's not high enough to take any of this. <laughs> I, think, I don't know where I'd put it. But uh, yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I do like it. I appreciate art, but I sort of also don't understand it. <laughs> so I'm in that weird, like, I think I'm a bit intimidated by art, truthfully. Um, and, and I don't know why. I still look at stuff and I'm like, well, I like that. But it's also scary. Like, what, you know, what is it? What's the point? Well, I know what the point. So the definition of art is what? Uh, something that has no other purpose other than itself, which I kind of liked. Whether that's true or not, I've read that somewhere. That sounds sophisticated, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's, it's all... Like, I'm quite a practical person. Like, you know, everything I do is, like, logical and with my hands. And sport is black and white. You win or you don't win. Um, there's no sort of opinion in it. And art, there's a lot of opinion and, like, feelings. And I was like, you know, some people love something. Some people hate something. And, yeah, I sort of, I don't know, you know, when I, when I look at it, I was like, I appreciate it. But... Um, it sort of scares me as well. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you touched on the right things there because art is very subjective, yeah. but that taste or that opinion definitely does change with your with the education and the information that you're exposed to and learning about the narrative and history behind an yeah. artist. So if I were to say, what do you see right there? You might see, see a bit of black paint on the silver background, but the moment I explain about he's a godfather street art and he used to do these on the streets of new york to get a reaction off the the public suddenly it then starts to to make a bit more sense yeah. on top of that though more and more people are using art as a place to enjoy their money mm. preserve their money and make money over time because yeah, if yeah. you buy the right artists who are iconic you know they, they can make a huge amount of money over time yeah i bet yeah no i'd say i think I definitely enjoy art, but I sort of also am a bit scared by, you know, you look at paintings it's like, why is that painting 10 grand and the one next to it, 100 quid? You know, like that bit baffles me a little bit. But as you say, you know, everything has a value depending on what people are willing to spend on it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Defo. 
Right, I'm going to read out some of your accolades and some of your like sub, sub almost like titles. Okay, so you're the first person to cycle, swim, and run the length of Great Britain, the world's longest continuous triathlon of four thousand two hundred miles, first person in history to swim from Land's End to John O'Groats. Is it John called? O'Groats, it? Yeah. yeah, and you're a public speaker. You're also um, uh, someone's written six books and someone that is traveling the world all the time spreading your message and you, you've got this core belief and message that you want to um, you know your message is going back to the youth to, to kids and you really want to get more and more people into sport my first question to you is this are you just addicted to competition Oh, so I thought you were just going to say exercise there because that's the question I get a lot. Are you addicted to exercise? I'm not addicted to exercise. I'll go months without doing anything. Uh, am I addicted to competition? I'm getting addicted to competition. Um, I am addicted to chasing things. That would be, I think, if you boiled it down, I have to chase stuff. That's my addiction. So I'm not addicted to just going out and doing exercise. I'm not addicted to travel. Uh, I'm, I'm actually terrible at traveling. I hate it, like unless. But if there's something to chase, I need that in life. And that's it. Can be lots of little stuff. Um, it can be hobbies. It can be learning new things, new skills. But yeah, the thing that I definitely ha- have to do is chase big, scary things for my mental health. I just have to, you know. And people sort of say, "Oh, well, but why?" And I, I sort of don't have an answer because I had a terrier. And every time I threw the ball, he would chase the ball. No questions. I think in five years I had him, he probably didn't chase the ball once. And, you know, he doesn't question chasing the ball. He just chases the ball. He's like, he just has to. You throw the ball, he has to chase it. And I'm, I'm the same. I just have to have these things to chase. And I can't explain it, but it's easier to chase it than not to chase it. And I found the best way to feed the terrier in me is to go for these big, scary, super long, super ultra endurance challenges. And then if I do that, I'm happy for a while until I get hungry again. And then I've got to chase something else. <laughs> um, I mentioned to you off air that I interviewed a guy called Ash Dykes, who yeah. was an incredible guy, incredible, um, some of his achievements and accolades. And quite clearly, you're, you're, I see you kind of in the same bucket slightly, obviously slightly different at the same time, but... The thing that stood out for me, because it was the first time I ever saw it with Ash, and now you, is when I looked at your bio in Wikipedia, it said, um, adventurer, and then on some other sort of forums and some other people giving you titles, is it extreme athlete or extreme adventurer, etc. But let's just work it down to adventurer. Don't you find that quite cool that you're called an adventurer rather than an electrician or even a, a plumber? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's weird, but I also think it's just a bit like Ponzi I don't know I just like I cringe I never call myself it I just can't I, I, I call myself an endurance athlete if I have to okay. um, but I get it like I get classed in this world of adventure and I guess the difference between Ash and I is in the world of adventure you've got exploration on the left for example and then you've got in like sport or athletic achievement on the right and I guess Ash does more exploration based stuff because he can take a day off if he wants he can take 10 days or he can take a week off Whereas I'm going for a record where you're going morning till night, morning till night, pushing speed, distance, you know, like it's, so I'm on the, 
sports side of adventure and he's on the exploration side so there's a that would be i guess the easiest way for me to differentiate between us but yeah people call me an adventurer i don't correct them because people sort of understand that but i sort of also cringe <laughs> you're like you know i don't know i just i can't think of an example that's similar you know or almost like if you if you went to a party and someone sort of swanned up to you and says i'm a poet i'd be like i feel the same like because it's like what really like is that what you do you're actual like i sort of feel like i get the same reaction from people if i say i'm an adventurer it's just like shut up mate you you, you go for long runs that's all you do <laughs> <laughs> um looking at this one right so the world's longest continuous triathlon of 4200 miles now i know most people know what triathlon is but if i were to get your interpretation and your description sean what is a triathlon so a triathlon is three sports, swimming, cycling, and running, and they have to be done um, mostly in that order, but it sort of doesn't really matter. Uh, and there's different types of triathlons that you can enter as official races. You've got four main ones, which is your sprint distance triathlon, and then you double that, you get to Olympic distance triathlon, then you double that again, you get to a half Ironman or half triathlon, but a half Ironman is the most popular uh, company that do them. And then you get your full distance and Ironman is again, the most popular company that does a full distance. So that, it, so a full Ironman is the fourth one. And then you, then you start getting the, the ones that I like where it's a double, a double or a triple or a Decker, which is 10 of them in a row. Um, so yeah, and they're all swim cycle runs. So for example, the distance, and this is the late, the last world record I just broke was the, I did the most number of iron distance triathlons in a row, which is 105. So I did every day, every single day. You can't have a rest day. can't take a day off. You've got to hit the distance every single day. So every day for 105 days, I did, I woke up in the morning and did a 2.4 mile swim. And this is the, the, 4, no, so this, this, the 4,200 was essentially about 30, 35. Cause all the, the, the distances were, were a bit different, but yeah, about 30, um, full full iron distance triathlons in a row as a continuous form so it was 120 mile swim a 3200 mile bike ride and then an 820 mile run um so that is called a continuous where you do all the swimming in one go all the cycling in one go all the running in one go you get the other form of multi-day or long 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 triathlons which is the one a day where you do swim cycle one run on one day again swim cycle run on the next day and you just repeat that over and over and that's called the one a day so there's two different types and um yeah so i did the 4200 mile one in 2016 i think yeah 2016 um and then and then recently i did the the one a day for 105 days and yeah that was that was hard that was way harder than the than the continuous before we started talking as well you mentioned that you had two lives sean conway the photographer <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and sean Con Con uh, conway yeah. the adventurer or athlete yeah, yeah. however you want to title yeah, yeah. it how did you go from a photographer <laughs> to an extreme yeah. athlete before we start this week's podcast i have to give a special mention to our sponsors i secure vehicles they are a brilliant company a family-run business and they specialize in vehicle safety and security throughout the uk i know this company very well and i also know the people behind the brand if you've been following me on my podcast journey and on social media you will know that i love cars and so does my network 
This is why I'm very, very excited to be working with iSecure Vehicles, and this is why we have chosen them to be our sponsors for the Stephen Sully Study Podcast. Their team are professionals, experts, and they're efficient. Once their product is installed on your car, your vehicles, you will have the peace of mind that your asset is protected. Trust me, do not wait until it's too late. Get protection now. For more information about their products, including dash cameras, undetected immobilizers, and also car tracking systems, head over to isecure-vehicles.co.uk. And remember to mention the Stephen Sully Study podcast sent you. So photographer, so I dreamt of being this like National Geographic photographer. And I remembered thinking I was gonna travel around the world and just explore and push myself and you know be in the jungles of Peru or the Atacama Desert. Instead, I landed up being this like school portrait photographer. I was based in London, lived in North London for nearly 10 years, photographing you know nearly 10,000 kids a year, um, doing basically portraits against a white background. And then I turned 30 and I remember thinking, I am not in the Atacama Desert, why not? So I decided to sell my business for a quid to my business partner. And I thought, right, I want to go traveling, but I don't have any money. So what if I break some sort of world record that has a travel element to it? Maybe I'll get sponsorship. And then that first thing was cycling around the world in 2012. Managed to get funding for that to try and break that record. And then that didn't go to plan. I got run over in America. But it sort of made me realize that there's, I could sort of be a non-professional sportsman, really, or an adventurer or whatever, by following a a sort of a model where I do a record, hopefully I get it, I write a book about it, so that puts food on the table, I then go and do talks at Google and Microsoft and b banks and whatever to inspire the, the staff, and then I go to schools and youth clubs and scout groups and try and inspire the kids as well. And then as long as I, that process usually takes about two years, so then every two years I think of something else, and also after two years, the terrier is hungry again. And he wants to eat. So <laughs> I have to feed the terrier. And then I go off and try and break another record. And then I just roll that out. And now it's been 12 years or so that I've just been uh, just getting record after record after record, which excites me. I like it. I like chasing the records. Um, and yeah, I've just sort of fell into this by mistake, really, from way back when I was skint. <laughs> I kind of fell into a non-professional sportsman role. Um, because, I, well, I needed, I just didn't have any cash to go sort of wandering on my own. I've got to say, like, you know, people must have said this to you in, uh, on podcasts and people that you know, etc. But I really admire that story because 30 years of age, you're definitely not old. But it's almost a time where probably people are thinking about having kids. People are thinking about settling down. People are thinking about safe, secure job, pension. People are thinking about their mortgage. They're, they're thinking about a lot of stuff that kind of, in in a way, freezes them into the life that they may or may not want. And it takes a lot of courage to break out of that mm. uh, and say, no, nah, fuck this. This is not who I am or who I want to be. Yeah. And if I don't get out now, I'll probably never get out. How, bit of advice for the younger people. Mm -hmm. They're in situations and in jobs that they don't want to be in 
but they feel like there isn't that fire to actually take that step. How, 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 how do you say enough's enough and I'm going to step out of this and change my life? Yeah, I mean, that's a difficult question because I, I was lucky. I had no family. I had no wife. I had no mortgage. I was just renting. Um, you know, had I had a family and a mortgage, I think it would have been reckless for me. And I would, I, what I don't want is to give some advice and in two years time, someone says, well, I followed your advice, quit, quit my job, uh, now I'm homeless, you know, because you sort of got to have a plan. Um, and sometimes having a little bit of security, with, you know, even if you hate that security, uh, gives you a little bit of brain space and a little bit of freedom to then start on your path down, you know, to start your new path that you want to go down, right? So let's say you, you're doing something you hate and you're miserable doing it, you know, depends who you are. Like, I'm definitely a jump ship and just freaking make a plan. But I don't think that's for everyone. So what I would say is you you have conversations with your bosses and things and say, well, maybe can I drop my hours? Because firstly, I think most most people that I've spoken to will agree that they could probably live, you know, on three days a week, potentially. No, of course, there's a lot of people who need to work five, six days. When I first moved to London, I was working six days a week just to break even like because London's expensive and I was on low wage so you know if someone said oh just drop your hours to three days I'd be like I literally can't like I'd be kicked out of my <laughs> my flat share so I do appreciate there's people who really do need their money um, but I think there's there's a lot of people who could probably cut their their hours down and that's what I did so when I was in photography I was working at a photo lab snappy snaps Swiss cottage um, six days a week six days a week Monday to Saturday I had Sunday off and I did that for a year. I then cut my days down to five days. Uh, and then six months later, four days. And then I remember all my kit got stolen out my flat. I had a break in, everything, cameras, laptops, gone. I had nothing. So as a working photographer, I couldn't, couldn't work anymore. So I went back to my boss at Snappy Snap said, do you mind if I work six days a week again? <laughs> so went back to work six days a week just to save money, save money to buy more kit, you know, buy a laptop, buy camera gear. So I did that for another 18 months probably before I could then start cutting my days down again and then went five days four days three days two days one day so that whole process took six years you know so I think people need to also not be in a rush and just realize right have a plan it's going to take time because I think we all want it yesterday um and and just follow roughly what you think is going to work so you know I didn't have a six-year plan I just said right well I need to earn this much to live. And, you know, the photo lab was giving me 100% of that at the beginning. And then as soon as I got a few extra photography jobs, I realized, well, actually, I don't need that extra day for 57 quid or whatever it was I was earning a day. I could do, you know, four, five days a week, then four days a week. And as soon as the photography built up and, you know, some, some of it went quicker. So, you know, it, it was sort of a, an inverse graph where once I hit three days a week, at the lab, I then had actually more days not at the lab than I was at the lab. So then I could work more on the photography and then it snowboarded and sort of like three to one was in six months, mm. whereas six to five was a year, <laughs> you know. So um, that would be my advice. You know, what can you do that outside of your work, which will start you on your path? Uh, you know, because I think sometimes quitting it all will make you make bad decisions again because you need the money. Desperation. You know, desperation also, also means you then, 
you know, you might, let's say you work in an office job and you want to be a travel writer. So you, you quit the office job and then you want to be a travel writer. But oh, after six months, you're like, oh, damn it. Not getting any gigs, travel writing. Right, I'll just get another job. I'll go work at Starbucks, you know, because then that's low. You know, I don't have to think and at least I've got some money. You know, if you're not careful, you'll be six days a week at Starbucks in two years time. Um, so yeah, you've, you've just got to have a plan. Don't, don't dismiss the security of a paycheck because that can help. But also think, do you really need to work that much? Can your boss, you know, give you maybe the same hours, but for shorter days? I know a lot of people who would choose to do 38 hours a week over four days, for example, which gives you three days off. Mm. So, yeah, so that would be my advice really to people who potentially are not super satisfied with what they do. And also the, the flip side is, you know, is eight hour, you know, eight hours work, eight hours sleep, eight hours play. It's unrealistic, of course, but you know, there's a lot of time outside. Of, there should be a lot of time outside of work. And of course you're picking up kids and you're doing the shopping and the laundry and brushing your teeth and all that stuff. But you know, what can you do outside of work that fulfills you as well? Mm. Um, and it might be just signing up for an ultra marathon or the or, or marathon or something. And all of a sudden having that goal takes the pressure off, you know, this thing that you do every day for, for money that mm. you don't particularly enjoy. So you said even earlier that you're a very practical practical kind of guy mm. and you come across very headstrong clearly like breaking these records and and setting setting new records and stuff you need to be head, headstrong but you don't come across too kind of emotional erratic etc but even the best of us mm. if someone was sacrificing the work the time for this higher or this 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 ultimate purpose but in the middle of it someone robs you and steals all your stuff and you have to go back to square one like snakes and ladders yeah how the hell did you start how did you stay so focused and didn't allow your emotions to get better of you yeah i mean that was hard you know i remember i was at i was in the lab i got a phone call from my flatmate saying mate flat's been robbed i was like what this like I grew up in Africa. Like, like, I've never been robbed in Africa. And all of a sudden I come to London and I get robbed. And um, I remember grabbing my, my satchel and running. I only lived like 10 minute run from, from, the, from the lab. Got there and it was just, you know, they'd smashed the door in. And I was like, no. And I went and I went under, my stuff was under my bed and it was all gone. So camera, it was easy to nick. Camera bag, laptop bag, just straight up. And I just remember going, this is this is bad. Like I had two or three shoots booked like that week, like in the evening, like I think I had a model, model, a portfolio for a model that she wanted done and a couple other things. And I just, I remember I borrowed a camera to shoot the, do the portfolio for the model, but like a point and shoot. Normally I had the proper DSLR and everything. So I borrowed this crappy little point and shoot digital camera from 2000 and what would this have been? 2002, 2003, like one megapixel rubbish. Did the shots they were terrible um i'm like i don't know what to do. like that was just it and then you know your question is well how did i deal with it i sort of like i just i knew exactly well there's only one option for me really was just to go and earn more money just to buy more kit and the only way to do that was to work more days at the lab so it was mm. sort of quite an obvious black and white answer for me yeah. and yeah i mean i can sit and wallow but and don't get me wrong you know i'm not i'm not immune to those sort of emotions but I am quite practical I was like well this is crap you know 
maybe the police will find the cameras and the stuff. So they, they came around and they did the fingerprinting, you know, everywhere. Like they covered the whole flat in this like gray, silvery gray powder. And at the end they're like, yeah, sorry, we couldn't get any fingerprints. Bye. And they left our flat like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that bit in Ace Ventura where he's like doing the, the powder in the room and the whole room's white at the end of it. It was a bit like that. And they're like, see you later. I'm like, oh, do I have to clean this? Yeah, <laughs> bye. <laughs> and um, yeah, they never caught the, the people and whatever. So yeah, I mean, it sucked, but I just, there's only one other option. I had no other way, you know. I couldn't really, I wasn't getting jobs that paid enough for me to rent the kit. Cause that's, if I was slightly up the, the food chain in photography and charging a, a higher day, day rate, I probably could have rented kit. But actually at my level at, in the early days, I just couldn't, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have made mm. any money renting the kit. So it's like, well, back to square one is what it is. Pff, crack on, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, when you said you were, uh, doing doing the challenge, the cycling challenge, and then you just casually said, "Yeah, I got run over," and you just kind of moved on. I want to bring you back to that moment. Yeah. When you say you were run over, what what do you mean? So I was in America. I was four thousand miles into the round the world uh, record attempt, twenty uh, something days, so pushing big miles a day, like one hundred and seventy, two hundred and ten on a good day. Um, and yeah, one morning, just someone speeding on his phone just hit me from behind, doing fifty mile an hour. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember anything, thankfully. I think if I'd had, if I'd remembered the pain and the incident, I think that trauma would have stopped me cycling completely. But I don't remember anything. I remember going to bed the night before and I remember sort of being on the side of the road with the lights. But again, I don't know how much of this is me inventing the memory or me dreaming about it later, but I sort of being, remember being on the side of the road. Then I sort of remember being in, in the ambulance, but not really. And then I sort of remember being in hospital, but not really. Um, so it's a good like at least 12 hours that just don't exist in my life and then and then yeah that was hard because i put so much effort into training i was training 40 hours a week to get to a level where i could do about 200 miles a day on the bike uh pushing it hard and then it was taken away by someone else's sort of carelessness and then you know i was gonna quit of course i was like right well i got no bike it's it's a write-off uh can't afford a new one i'll come home and then the family looking after me happened to be welsh he was welsh she was american they were the doctor on duty and they took me in and looked after me for about three weeks uh in their home and they bought me a new bike and then i sort of part of my around the world was also taking a mini olympic torch around the world that some kids made me in greenwich and it was like i remember when i was packing up i, I thought oh you know these kids really you know they're going to be devastated if i don't get their torch around the world so i had something else then for the chariot the terrier to chase which was quite good because if i hadn't that i think i would have spiraled i might have carried on of course because you don't get two chances to cycle around the world and they this lovely family the carries bought me a bike mm. so i was able to continue but i think if i hadn't had that new thing to chase which was trying to get the olympic torch around the world yeah i don't know what would have happened to my sort of mindset really um so yeah, so I carried on, got back to London just in time for the Olympics, which was, you know, it was nice. It was okay, but I, it did feel like just a, you know, real backhanded second prize, you know, to, yes, I cycled around the world, which is amazing, but I didn't get the record. And the record, I think sort of knowing how I felt not getting the record made me realize how important 
it is for me and my own well-being to have something difficult to chase that has a finish line and a, a proper goal um and yeah and i guess that's why all the things i've done in the since then have had that extremely difficult physical and mental element to it and there's less exploration um because you know the bike the first half of the bike ride well the first third of the bike ride was before the accident or the first quarter and then the last three quarters was technically i was just traveling yes i had this little goal of trying to get the flame around the world um but i definitely way preferred the first quarter where i was racing so in a way it sort of did me a favor because it made me realize how important it was for me to distinction the difference between the athletic side of adventure and the exploration side of adventure mm. like i need the athletic side you know getting hit from behind at 50 miles per hour by a car obviously you're un it's all unknown to you it hit you by surprise um i'm surprised actually you you you're kind of still here to tell the tale because it, yeah. if if you were hit in a, in a different position or a different way you could have easily been made disabled for the rest of your life or, or even worse killed yeah. did you have any serious inju injuries yeah i've got a compression fracture in my spine so the car hit me straight from behind i th i think he must have swerved and i must have swerved because a bit of impact came on my right leg but mostly what happened is he hit the back wheel straight on and i flipped up in the air which meant my back hit the bonnet so it was uh, one of those big american pickup trucks right. classic ones you know so my back hit the bonnet and bent my back backwards so then i have a compression fracture in my spine so that a compression fracture is where your cartilage gets squished between your vertebrae and then it, it sort of never grows back or you know it doesn't re unsquish basically so there's a chance that two of my vertebrae will fuse later in life so it just is what it is nothing can do about it and then my head hit the windscreen and shattered the windscreen and my helmet did what a helmet's meant to do and took all the absorption and i remember looking at my helmet afterwards and the bit that was normally five centimeters was down to like a centimeter so it did all you know can you picture at the back of a helmet you have all those those bits that sort of stick out they absorbed all the impact which was brilliant um you know the, the helmet didn't shatter apart and then my head you know wow. so that was good and then i was flung luckily onto grass somehow again i think i i as again i have no memory of this but i must have swerved a bit in the last because i had mirrors on my bike it was dark it was in the morning um so i must have swerved because i then landed on grass so yeah, so I got the T11, the, the T11 compression fracture. I had a bit of like whiplash, chipped a tooth, bit of grazing on my one elbow, and then I sort of uh, sprained my ankle. But yeah, I got I got away like 50 miles an hour is quick. Yeah, you know, yeah. go go to the A40 and stand on the side of the road and look at the cars go past at 50 miles an hour. Like I was maybe doing 10, 12 mile an hour probably, maybe 12, but still like yeah. Yeah, I don't know how, and, and, and 50 is what he admitted. So this, this is not just me guessing, this is what was in the police report, and that's, he could have been going faster. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, you know, I hold nothing against the guy who ran me over. I was on a road that you would never cycle on. Like you just wouldn't, but I'm just following a line on a map, you know, I don't know any different, do I? Um, you know, he'd been driven, he'd driven that road his entire life. He was a baker, you'd get up early every morning. I think I was run over at like 6 a.m. in the pitch dark. You know, he's never seen a cyclist on that road in his entire life. So 
you know, nothing, nothing against him. Um, so yeah, so it was just, just one of those things, just got unlucky because actually the, the rest of my ride across America, and I've done a couple of rides in America, the drivers are amazing. Like, you know, everyone has war stories about getting run over. James Cracknell got hit, Mark Beaumont got hit, I got hit. But actually, everyone was amazing. Like, before that and after that, I just, you know, I had a one-off unlucky. But for the most part, drivers gave me a big berth when they overtook. A lot of the hard shoulders, like in Texas, are bigger than the road. So that trucks can pull off hmm. if they need to. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it was tough. It was tough to deal with. I'm still nursing that back injury. Like, I could, even sitting here, I can feel it. Like, there's a little bit of pain. Mm. Nothing to stop me, but it's noticeable. Like, mm. Especially, and if I hold anything in front of me, so if I hold, pick up my kids, or if I hold something heavy out in front of me, that really messes up my back. But then also I did the Gloucestershire cheese rolling before that, and I also did my back in there. So there's a little bit of, <laughs> it's a bit of like abuse. I, I was gonna get to this, this point, like, you know, um, be the first person to cycle, swim, run the length of Great Britain and got all of these other successful journeys, adventures and, and tasks that you've, you've, you've overcame and, you know, combated. I mean, even what you just said earlier, you, you know, you've done over 100 Ironmen back to back without any break. When you hear people do marathon, for example, you know, they say there might have a bit of chafing on the nipples or sometimes they actually do bleed maybe a little bit and mm -hmm. that's why they put the tape over it. You obviously got blisters. I used to do, um, I used to play squash for, for Kent and South East and, you know, quite a high level. And you used to do these, these relays where you're, you're playing one squash uh, game, then you're onto another. And it's quite a fast, mm. you know, game. Or boxing, for example. I've been in boxing competitions, etc. And you always come out with, oh, a little bit sore here, a little bit sore there. But competing, like if you were to do one Ironman, most people come out the other side with a couple of grazes, couple of bruises, couple of blisters. Like how's your body after over well over 100 Ironman back to back? Yeah, pretty battered. Like it's hard. So it's hard to put into perspective with the, with the Ironman because when I was on the run leg of the Ironman every day, I did the 26 mile. So an Ironman's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride and a 26.2 mile run. So a marathon at the end. On the marathon leg, people, you know, after a while, you know, this is 105 days I'm doing it. People sort of were stopping me like, what are you doing, mate? I see you here every day. And I used to say, oh, I'm doing 105 Ironman distance triathlons in a row. And they sort of just didn't understand it. They were just like, and someone explained it to me quite well, actually. They were like, when you say you're doing that, people don't get it. It's like when you say billions and billions and billions of, of exactly. pounds. Like, people don't actually realize that a billion is 1,000 million. And then all of a sudden, you've got 10 billion, 20 billion, 100 billion. Like, it just gets lost in the ether. So I tell people this. I'm like, oh, I'm doing 105 full irons in a row. And they'd be like, oh, they sort of didn't know what to say. And then after a while, I thought, right, well, I think I'm just going to tell people I'm doing 105 marathons in a row. And as soon as I started doing that, it blew their minds. <laughs> they were like, what? You're doing 105 marathons in a row? That's incredible. Wow. Because they sort of could understand that. You know, so I eventually gave up saying I'm actually forget the 2.4 mile swim and the 112 mile bike I'm doing every day as well. Because that just, it just seemed so unfathomable to people. That's, That's just the warm up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I wanted to hop on here to once again thank the sponsors of this week's podcast, iSecure Vehicles. 
When we were searching around for sponsors for the channel, we honestly wanted to get a brand, a company that would give massive amount of value to our audience. And that is definitely iSecure Vehicles. They have a wide range of products which are designed to keep your vehicle, your asset safe and secure. Some of those products are dash cameras, undetected immobilizers, and car tracking systems. Head over to iSecure to look at their products and make sure you say that the Stephen Sully Study podcast sent you there. So, um, you know, it's hard. It's, I was getting up at 4.29 a.m. every day. And at what time? 4.29, yeah, every morning. It was 4.34, but then I landed up getting in the pool at like one minute past five or two minutes past five, and that was no good for me. Like, so weird you say that because I get up at one minute past five yeah, most days. Uh, what, and people what? and people always no, ask me one minute past. Why don't you do one minute two five? It's got a four in it. It sounds way cooler. Yeah. I get up at four fifty nine, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get at five. I get up at five twenty nine at the moment. So um, and uh, yeah, well, it was a practical thing. So at four at four thirty four, I think it was. I was just getting in the pool a couple of minutes after five, and I didn't like that, so I brought it down to four twenty nine. It could never be four thirty. Like that's just not good for my. I just can't do it. Um, whatever. There's a reason there, I guess, somewhere in deep in me, but I just can't do it. So four twenty nine meant I was getting in the water uh, at yeah about one minute two five, and then it's like yes, I won the day. So there was sort of that little brain hack which helped. And then I was in a positive mood, even though a minute really, like it's taken me 50, 14 hours to do, yeah, what's a minute really, you know? I spent, on average, I was losing seven minutes a day peeing, for example, you know, to stop and pee. So um, yeah, there was, uh, to do that every single day with no, because unlike there's two, when when you do these multi-day things, or like when I got the world record for cycling across Europe, for example, you can have a, sh- a short day. You can have a day off. You can do whatever you want as long as you get to the end before the other guy, you know. So, and for me, it was Jonas Deichmann. So I needed to get to the end before him uh, or his time. So it's an averaging record. Whereas the the full irons every day is an actual. You can't average 500 over 500 days. Uh, sorry, you can't average 105 over 105 days. You have to do an actual full distance every single day which meant on the bad days I had to do it, on the good days I had to do it, you know, and if I missed the cutoff, 17 hour cutoff for each one as well in the rules, um, then it's game over. You know, if I get, you know, if I am too slow and it takes me 17 hours and two minutes to finish the whole day, then it's records over, Mm. go home, you know? Um, So yeah, you've got to get to a physical point in your life where you're so fit you can do a 14-hour Ironman if you did an Ironman. Hopefully in zone one, maybe the bottom end of zone two heart rate, then it's sustainable. If you're too slow, you don't get enough sleep, and then the next day you slow again. Like your, 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 your joints slow and stuff, like your arms and... Just, yeah. It must be like... I guess like the human body is very clever. It can numb itself, but that numbing effect does wear off at some point and it comes back around. Like, are you, is your body continuously in a state of being numb after a certain point or do you just learn to get on with it? No, you learn to get on with it. It's painful. Like the swim, 2.4 mile swim was taking me about an hour 20. That's, your know, shoulders are pretty sore at the end of that every single day. Uh, then the bike ride, you know, different things hurt on the bike. Quads hurt a lot. Short, um, yeah, shoulders can hurt a little bit from being on the bars if you're not relaxed enough. Neck, 
from being low down in aero position. Uh, and then, you know, you're trying to eat 8,000 calories a day. Then on the run, the run was the worst by a long way. You know, the first half of the run, I was sort of okay, you know, hobbling along, doing, you know, I was trying to do five and a half hour marathons, which is pretty slow, but you're still running. You're not, you, you, to do that, you almost can't walk any of it really. You can walk bits of it, but what you don't want to do is walk a 10 minute K and then run a six minute K. Like you're just spiking too much. So you, I was running on heart rate, keeping my heart rate low and five and a half seemed to be a sweet spot for me at my heart rate. But then the second half, you know, no matter how fit you are, you've just got muscle breakdown, you know, knees, quads, ankles, hips, lower back. Um, they're all just screaming at you, which is why it's super important to get fast enough to then give yourself enough time off, off, off your legs. And 14 hours was, I think, the sweet spot. So if anyone else wants to have a crack at the record, I think you should be aiming for 14 hours in zone one, bottom end of zone two heart rate. And then it gives you 10 hours recovery. And that, you know, if you can go quicker with, with the same heart rate, brilliant. But any slower, you've, you're falling into just not having enough time off your feet. You know? the, the recovery as well, I assume you've got like um, physio there, sports therapist, you know, someone that is there cracking your back and making sure that you're getting a proper recovery that you deserve. Yeah, so interestingly, for the first 30 days, I had a physio every day. And then after 30 days, I was just, I felt my muscles were conditioned. And I thought, I took a risk. I thought, right, let's get rid of daily physio and have more sleep. Okay. And as soon as I did that, it was game changer. That extra hour sleep did way more for my body than an hour of physio. Wow. Because I didn't need the physio. For the first month, I needed it. Like there were certain, there were certain muscles that got tight and certain tendons that got tight. And if I hadn't managed it, it would have led to tendonitis or potential stress fracture. So you, I, you had to be on top of everything every single day. There's sort of 10, or uh, there might be 11 now, uh, pillars of endurance, which is planning, experience, fitness, health, nutrition, hydration, sleep, muscle management, motivation, um, discipline and community so those are the 11 and every single day you got to nail all of them if you want to do these multi-day things for months and months and months and because if you off on one of them you'll be too slow and then the next day you're not getting enough recovery so you're slow again and then it becomes a downhill spiral did you ever think when you're doing something like this that you felt like you were going to die and you you were going to give up uh no I felt like I was going to die every day, but giving up was not even on the cards. Like no plan B. It was just, and you know what? Getting up at 429, not once in 105 days did I question it. Not once. I was like, well, that's just what I do now. It's a non-negotiable. Getting up and swimming 2.4 miles and cycling 112 miles and running a marathon, non-negotiable. It's like brushing your teeth. I put them in the same category and I just go and do it. Uh, and... Yeah, I guess if I, go, if I do have a superpower is my headspace because once I decide that that's what I'm chasing, it's like the terrier chasing a ball, doesn't question it, just goes for the ball. And I'm guessing that your public speaking when you're going to companies, institutes or seeing a young audience like children and they need a little bit of life guidance, a little bit of support, a little bit of motiv motivation or inspiration, your mindset is start, your, your message is, start doing non-negotiables yeah. and you're a lot, lot more stronger than you actually know or even believe. Yeah. So go in wholeheartedly believing that there's no plan B and you're all in for the thing you want to do, but you're going to get thrown curveballs and your train is going to be derailed. 
So you need to then also have this ability to be level-headed about it and be able to sort of pivot and turn and refocus and change direction. Still going in, I don't want to say change direction, just change the path potentially to still get to the top of the mountain. Like there's different ways you can get up the mountain. And, um, you know, and sometimes it's stopping, realizing there's no way forward on this. I'm going to go back and start again. So I, for example, I attempted the 105 last year and got injured. And the injury was so severe that I just was missing the cutoffs. So there was sort of no point in continuing because I knew that, you know, I could have, you know, it was only, it was day five. I felt like I came off the bike and I managed getting to day seven, but I was so slow that there really was no point in carrying on because I'd missed the cutoff anyway. So I thought, right, well, this is not a failure. This is just me, you know, getting to the end of this road. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to go back down the mountain. I'm going to regroup. I'm going to retrain and wait for the next weather window, which was April this year. And I'm going to start again. Um, don't get me wrong. It was miserable. Like failing was hard. Like I had sponsors. I had crew. I had, it was all set in place. Mm. I cleared my work calendar for three and a half months and a week, I only made it a week. Right. So of course I'm not immune to that. So there was a couple of days where I'm sitting on the sofa going, wow, how am I going to bounce back from this? You know, this is hard. And then, but you know, a few days later, I was like, right, well, I need to just crack on. Like, I know what I need to do. And I love training. I was like, brilliant. Well, I've got another nine months of training. Great. Let's crack on and do that. And got to the start line, you know, learning from my mess ups, you know, having worked out, right, well, what went wrong last time? Okay, my route was a bit crap. Um, I was probably a bit slow on the run, probably a bit slow on the swim. Bike was okay, you know, uh, nutrition, all those 11 pillars, I went back to the drawing board and said, right, well, what was good and what was bad? Tick all the boxes again, rejig the format and, and reattempt. So, and that's, that's what happened. How, how does someone, so world first records and pushing your body to these limits, how do you train for something like that? So people say, you know, is it, oh, you know, it must be all mental. It is all mental, but it's also all physical. You know, you've got to be fast enough. Like if I said to you, go and try and do a 10 hour, you know, full distance triathlon, you know, that's something I would struggle with. You know, you've got to be a pretty much a cat, a triathlete to go sub 10 hours. Right. And the only way you do that is by putting in crazy amount of hours in training so to train for the multi-day stuff um it would be three sessions of everything a week so three swims three bikes three runs for the, for the 105 uh and then just volume training so about 20 hours a week roughly 25 on a, on a long week and then going off and doing long runs you know long rides you know swims the swim's quite easy really so you don't have to do any big epic long swims because the swim's only an hour and 20 minutes. Um, so yeah, there was, uh, it's just all about volume, getting all your tendons you know, robust enough, getting your muscles, you don't want too much strength muscles because they're hungry for oxygen and, and calories. So, you know, that just comes with time, you know, that comes with time. So if you were gonna try and do multi-day full distances, I would say you need 12 months of training. 
It's funny you say that because I, I would say stereotypically, if someone were to have this vision of an individual that smashes his world records, it's even a bit like Ash Dykes actually, mm. like extreme adventurer, like crossing you know Mongolia for the first time through mm. you know these woodlands or extreme weathers or jungles or crossing across these mad rivers and yourself doing these hundreds of these Ironmen back to back. You kind of in your head, you think about a Superman, you think about The Rock, <laughs> yeah. Dwayne Johnson, you think about these massive, strong, kind of Hercules type guys. In actual fact, it's far from the truth. Yeah. You're talking about these slender, kind of lean, smaller type of athletes, because that's the type of body you need in order to, well, to, to, to get these records. Um, and it's interesting what you mentioned there about not the strong muscles because they need so much oxygen. Yeah. It's another type of muscle that you need in order to to, yeah. to to beat these to beat these other people yeah so you get two types of muscle fibers fast twitch which is your sprint muscles and your slow twitch stuff which is that's why mo far is skinny and all your sprinters have you know i mean you're saying bolt's quite skinny but actually if you look at him closely he has quite big thighs his shoulders are pretty big as well to do the pumping action so you can get strong slow twitch it just takes much longer so that's why you know, you can get a track sprinter with the same power as a Tour de France rider, like a, a novice track sprinter, for example, will might be on paper, have the same FTP or power output as a Tour de France rider, um, but he's using all fast twitch and the Tour de France rider is using all slow twitch, even though they've got the same power. But it's taken the Tour de France rider 10 years to get there. Whereas you could probably get quite a high power rating on the bike right. quite early on if you built muscle too quickly and then it's all all fast twitch. So and then fast twitch just is so hungry for oxygen, so hungry for calories. You know, you try and get someone with big thighs to cycle up a hill, ever heavier for one. Um but B, they just run out of gas. Mm. You know, they just run out of gas. So, you know, it's important to build the correct body type for the endurance thing. So I do, I do no strength work. I don't go to the gym. I do, I do, I do body weight stuff. So I do uh, chin ups. Yeah, -ups. sort of, not even really that much. I more do like Pilates and things like that. Okay. Press ups pretty good for swimming actually. So there's a couple of sort of body weight things um, for swimming that are pretty good, but for running in that, it's all the micro things. So, you know, I'm doing squats, but on a balance ball, super slow, you know really controlled i might have a few, hold a few weights for them sometimes but you know just trying to get all the little tendons super strong mm. and then when you go out and run you just run forever and then your your body will s slowly start to build up the slow twitch and get you stronger with those type of muscles rather than the the, the, the sprint muscles you still need some sprint muscles if you want to you know like be faster the sprint for example or get up hills a bit quicker short hills um so so yeah, it's all about just the correct type of training. And it, it's, it suits me that, because I hate the gym, <laughs> to be honest. I know you mentioned about 10,000 calories. Mm -hmm. So like the type of competition that you're used to, I understand about the cal calories, but what are you actually eating in order to fuel yourself to smash these world records? Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't eat as well as I was hoping for the 105. I ate almost no vegetables, which I sort of regret. I think I would have done, it would have done me good. But once I was, once I had a little system of nutrition that sort of was working, my times were okay and it was sustainable. I was like, all right, 
don't want to change it. So I mainly ate milks. So like cheese, milk, full fat cream, yogurts, uh, a lot of full fat cream because I could get 2000 calories a day, 3000 calories a day, just in a little half, you know, less than a pint. Um, cheeses, then sort of some meats, um, little bit, not a lot of meat, but some meats. Um, chicken or red meat? Yeah, chicken, yeah, some chorizos as well because they're quite fatty, uh, things like that. Ham, okay. uh, again, but not a lot, not a lot. And then a lot of fruit, a lot of nuts, a lot of grains. So uh, sort of like chia seeds and oats in the morning, then rice pudding. Um, if I could have some rice itself or some couscous as well, I'd have that. Uh, and then that was it really. I, I, and then a big pasta, a wheat meal in the evening, which again, you know, if you look at a bowl of carbonara, a big bowl of carbonara is about a thousand calories. You know, the vegetable version of that is 500. Like it just is, unless you put tons of sauce with it. So, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, my stomach's only this big. What am I going to do? I'm going to fill it with a thousand calories. or I'm going to fill it with 500 calories. Of course, I'm going to choose the thousand because what I didn't want is to lose weight, too much weight, because I would then potentially lose muscle mass, uh, which then I might lose some speed and then I'm on the back foot type thing, you know, could lead on to injuries as well, right? Like maybe. Yeah, potentially, potentially, but mainly because yeah let's say and I did lose so I lost three kgs a kg a month pretty much the last kg was muscle so it was a struggle like my times got slower at the end uh, I think the first kg was fat the second kg was a bit of fat a little bit of muscle third kg was pretty much all muscle and then all of a sudden I'm now a little bit slower because i am just got a little bit less power um, so yeah I sort of then just favored calories over quality mm-hmm. which again probably not a good idea but once i sort of had this little system in place i was just terrified to change it you know the um your diet was it trial and error or did you actually get advice from let's say food experts i got advice from rebecca my nutritionist uh, on basically the overall picture of especially with stuff i might need to supplement so she thought I probably need to supplement with some sort of greens um, supplement. So I did the AG1 Athletic Greens. And she said, oh, you'll, I'll probably need to up some my, my magnesium. Probably my iron was fine. I needed to maybe up just a general multivit because I'm putting my body through so much strain. I had some fish oils as well. I had some vitamin D. Um, and looking at my salt as well, how much salt I needed. So I had some salt tabs. So she looked at a lot of that. And then she looked at a lot of the the sort of carb, electrolyte, protein powders I'd have throughout the day uh, to work out how much calories I should put in each bottle, which would sustain things. And then, then the eating stuff, that was more trial and error because some days I look at a bowl of carbonara and I'd be like, yes, I want it. And I'd eat it all. And literally the next day I'd be like, I want to vomit. If I see another bowl of carbonara, I'm just going to hurl up everything. And then, you know, that's yeah. Then you get into dehydration, and if you if you if you and and I would genuinely want to vomit. It's just it's the thing called flavor fatigue, where your body just eventually associates some flavors with being under pressure and under strain, and it just goes no. Like that means we're doing something miserable now, <laughs> like trying to do an Iron Man, and then so it just doesn't want it. And uh, yeah, so that sort of came with trial and error, and then eventually got to a point where I had my staple things that I'd eat would be like you know five bananas a day, five packets of crisps, some 
uh, lots of fruit, a bit of che- lots of cheese, bit of bit of meat, uh, some rice puddings, and I always have my standard uh, kia and oats in the morning with a bit of uh, honey and butter uh, and milk. Uh, so that was my morning, and then in the evening a big pasta meal, and there'd be some vegetables in that, but not a lot. Mainly pasta sauce type thing just to get get the calories in and then a protein shake uh, at the end of each day as well so yeah that was sort of my standard every day really yeah um clearly smashing these records having a great profile and obviously really enjoying what you do and training etc you must get people organizations throwing opportunities at you all the time endorsement deals etc 42 years of age right yeah, that's right now i believe mind over matter I, I honestly do believe that but I also do know father time doesn't wait for any any of us and when I talk about sport and, and age I'm normally normally thinking about boxing because that's my sport that's what I've been doing I've had 16 fights I'm 37 I can still fight now but the reality is if I'm fighting a 25 year old who really wants to make a good impression in the sport and they're hungry and they've got all these big ambitions I'm not saying they're going to beat me. I'm just saying that we're probably at different points in our sort of career in our life to like, you know, and and you hear professional trainers all the time saying, even if they're that good, eventually it will catch up with them. So 42, how many more times are you going to break world records and when is enough enough for you? Yeah, that's sort of putting my hand in my ears. La, 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 la. Um, I've got year. I've got fifteen years still. I reckon fifteen yeah. years. Yeah. So whilst so fifty five yeah. between fifty five and sixty is when you're so. going to hang it up. Um, no, I th- I think that's when Father Time will catch up with me, and I think that's when my body, my ambition will out will outweigh my my what my body can do. I think just looking at just looking at data from other athletes, basically, and and I th- I think I'm pretty accurate with the 55 thing because so i did 105 for lions the british record was 20 and the guy called dave clamp decker dave he when he did the 20 not only did he get did the he did the most number any brit has ever done he also did the fastest time anyone had done in the world for 20 so his was one a day like mine so swim cycle run each day and each of those you take up a, com- a total time and you have a, a, an overall time for doing the 20 and he broke the world record he was 57 to do 20 now just l- l- thinking back how i felt after 20 i think if you can do 20 and you still tick all the boxes and just carry on being quite kind of diligent and disciplined you could do 100 you know once you've gone past the adjustment period and you're into your 20s and 30s then often it's a case of turning up and as long as you've not picked up injuries along in those 20 uh, or you're managing them and and you don't fall off the bike and there's obviously a whole other thing reason there's many other reasons you can fail at doing 100 but if you can do 20 you're a lot of the way there really so and so dave was 57 and i have no doubt he could have done 100 at 57 He's in fact just won a decker. So a decker, a continuous decker, is a 24-mile swim, 1,120-mile bike ride, and a 260-mile run at the end. In that order. In that order. So you do all the swim in one go. So the swim took him 
like i think 15 hours for the swim Jesus. the bike ride 1120 miles took but, like, so go back is he actually swimming that the whole time 15 hours you can get you? out and sleep yeah you can do whatever you want yeah, you go for a piss and stuff yeah oh yeah, yeah 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 and it's in a pool so it's lengths um but it's a race he's up against other people so if you you know swim and you want to get out and sleep and someone else is not sleeping so it's just a normal race the clock doesn't stop he just won it he's 64 he oh just won it God. he beat everyone like any it's any age group can do it um no youngsters do that though to be fair like i think the youngest person was like in their late 40s or something you know so uh yeah the endurance stuff favors older people and in fact actually if someone if if i had recorded my marathon time at 19 uh with the same sort of fitness and the same level of training biologically i would have just naturally got quicker up until the age of about 28 i believe i think i'm right in saying that yeah about 28 and then again with the same training same fitness level i will just biologically get slower after 28 for a marathon distance but i will reach my 19 year old pace mm. at 64 mm. so the average 64 year old will do a marathon at the same time as their 19 year old version of themselves with the same fitness level just biologically so humans are actually ingrained to just be better at endurance later like it's just biological so yeah so back to your question i think i've got another 15 years of potentially trying to push myself and hopefully inspire other people and get kids into sport which is like one of my my biggest sort of things at the moment um um will there be any records left that are achievable i don't know you know because yes, yeah, 64 i could probably win a decca if but there could be another version of me there could be someone else just like me who's 60 <laughs> you know and so you know with sport you're just up against your other competitor right so and i think everyone's just getting quicker and quicker and faster and faster so yeah i don't know i don't know i think what's there is no plan b as i said so i, I don't know at the moment i'm just need to chase these things and i'll keep chasing them i'm getting i'm getting quite interested in in the shorter format so like a double i did a double iron uh last weekend and that was quite good i'm doing a hundred hundred k running race in in the lake district couple of weeks looking forward to that not going to win it but you know it excites me at the potential that maybe i could win those shorter those shorter events so i'm just testing the waters now i'm enjoying just part, part, participating it's been two months since the 105 so i'm still not recovered so i'm you know everyone's telling me not to do these races but i have to so i'm just doing them anyway and i'll recover in the winter i think um so yeah i don't know i don't know what the future holds maybe if it all falls apart, I'll just become the world's most annoying PE teacher. <laughs> what I love about just hearing this is like, you know, we, we mentioned about you transitioning from a photographer from your 30s, going through the adversity of being robbed and stuff to where you are today. And it sounds like you've you found your purpose and, and your groove and you're really enjoying yourself and smashing these records. And it's probably quite nice. Like, it's not like... It's not like Messi winning the World Cup or being signed by Miami and being like, you know, like an uber celebrity type famous person. But in your own world, 
Like you must have people come over to you and go, fuck me, Sean, like you are very good at what you do and you've inspired me. That must be a really nice feeling to have. Yeah, I have, yeah, I have to say like the ego in me loves that. You yeah. know? I'm quite recognizable as well. So especially if I'm, in, if I'm in, in an outdoor setting. So if I go to the Lake District, like it happens all they the time. They must be, so. uh, sorry to interject, but I was actually thinking about this earlier. They must be quite shit scared when like someone enters a race and then you're next to them, <laughs> you know, and it's the first thing they notice is the beard. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If the beard guy is entering, yeah. we are, we're doomed. Well, not really, because like a short race, like a, a double, you know, like an Ironman or a double Ironman, they're like way too short for me. Like that's a sprint. So I'm, I'm never yeah. going to win. Um, although I think I could. So, you know, the guy who won the double did in 29 hours. I'd have a shot at that next year, maybe, if I trained specifically for it. I don't want to lose my multi-day endurance for the sake of getting faster on a one-dayer. So I need to just decide whether that's the right path and training I want to do. Because, you know, doing a, a double Ironman is, is so short for me. Like, it, it, I just have to be fast, and I'm not super fast. Um, but you're right, people do sort of go, oh my gosh, you're in the race, I have no yeah, chance. Yeah. But actually, I need to tell them that's like, I've actually only ever done four one-day events in my life. I've done the London Marathon. I did a Tough Mudder once. I ran a 50K Ultra a couple of years ago, and I did this double iron last weekend because, like, one-day stuff is just not for me. Uh, I'm interested, actually. What is your, um, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's your time on a London Marathon? Oh, I did it in a scout badge, so it was four and a half hours. But really, like, I think my marathon time is four hours, like, four hours anyway. Okay. Like, I, I could maybe... If I trained really hard, I feel I, I'm confident that I could do a sub three, but not by much. And I'd have to really train hard and, sac and I'd have to not swim and bike, I think. Mm. So I'd have to just focus on running. Mm. And maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to work on my speed a bit as I'm getting a bit older. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's sort of a new chapter now. Now that I've done the full, the, the 105, which was the fourth of the four categories of endurance records you can get. World's firsts, longests, fastest and most it was the one i didn't have the most of something so now i've got all four now it's time to for me anyway to just think about what i want to do for the next couple of years when it comes to keeping the terrier fed and these shorter races and there's some really cool ones like there's this 200 mile race in a tunnel in a one mile tunnel it's called the tunnel 200 miles on foot running back and forth in a one mile tunnel awesome love it you know so i've signed up for that um so there's things like that which i'm actually genuinely excited about which is way shorter you know that's 60 hours so it's three days I, i've never you know up till now i think running across iceland was one of the shortest things i'd done or kayaking the thames you know like five days seven days so to do like a two or three day thing is really really short for me um but i'm, I'm looking forward to it actually so it might be a new chapter where i spend the next three or four years getting really good at running 200 miles or really good at doing a triple mm. triple Ironman mm. um, but we'll see like, so the, the, I've already got one or two more questions for you Sean but and I've found this conversation really really fascinating but you, like success is measured in different ways right so some people say you're a success because you've got a billion pound for example some people will say you're a success because you've got 300 people working for you some people say you've got a success because you're recognized worldwide i just think like success is, is is measured in all those different ways but it's measured with like 
how that person feels every single day. You know, like if they're like on their job, they're so alight with enthusiasm, excitement, energy. You've got to say that person is probably more successful than the person who who might have ten million pound in the bank, but really doesn't enjoy the situation they're in right now, or don't, doesn't feel proud of what they're doing. They're just doing it for the money. And you come across as one of those people, like you, Ash. There's been a few people in my podcast that just ooze this like just bettering yourself kind of mentality. Mm. And my question to you again is a little bit like the one of the first questions I asked you, and there might not be the best answer, but just your interpretation of it. Like, how do you find your purpose? Like, how does someone go out there and find their purpose in life? Yeah, it's, um, I'm always very nervous about this, this, the word purpose, if I'm honest. You know, I think it gets thrown about a lot on social media, like find your purpose and, you know, do what you love and you'll never work again in your life. You know, it's, it's dangerous because some people don't ever have it. And then they feel like they're failing in life because everyone says you should have a purpose. And they're like, well, I don't have a purpose. You know, like, am I failing in life? So I'm, I'm quite wary of the, the word like purpose and like find your purpose and it's all good. And also the other one, you know, like when you say find what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, sometimes do you want to make your your hobby your job like it can ruin it like you know photography was my hobby loved it i ruined it because it became a money thing you know now i hate it don't want to pick up a camera ever again you know so you know i don't want to sort of blanket have this like oh yeah find your purpose what i do think is important is having having goals in life i think having physical goals Oh, should be mandatory like if I became the king of Wales I would make that like national service like you have to have a physical goal in your life mm. and I think that will give you fulfillment I think fulfillment is a better word like what are you doing that's making you feel like you've achieved something in life uh, and I don't think it should all be about work and it's quite a, it's quite an interesting thing like so in Britain you go to a party there's lots of people you don't know what's the first thing you you know you're standing next to someone what's the first thing you say to them so what do you do it's, it's such a British thing, man. Like, oh, what do you do? So like straight in, it's like, basically, what do you, what's, the, what's your job, you know, and how do you earn money? It's like, it's such a boring question. Like, out of all the things, you've, you've, this is a human being who's been on the planet for 40 years, and all you want to know is what job they do. Come on. Like, whereas, I think it's in, in, in Spain, they, they say, what's new with you? That's their version of our, what do you do? And I think that's way cooler. Like, oh, yeah. so what's new with you? I now say like, oh, so what's, what's keeping you excited about life at the minute? You know, that's my opener. Oh, and now I do it on purpose. So whenever I meet someone new, I go, oh, so what's, keep, what's making you excited about life? It sets the tone, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly they go like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. Well, actually I'm learning French which I am right at the moment. I'm learning French. I'm like, well, that's actually getting me quite excited about. So on the drive down here, I was listening to a French podcast and, you know, rather than like, so what do you do? Like, it's like, come on. Like, you know, so, you know, back to your question. Purpose, not a big fan of that word. I think what's getting up each day, what do you feel you're doing that is a sense of achievement? You know, you, you sort of said, oh, I, I come across as being successful in inverted commas. And I feel successful because... I've had something that I'm working towards and I've achieved it, whatever that is. You know, let's say I'd, I'd gone for all these records and I'd not got any of them. I would have still had the same journey on all of them, but I wouldn't have got that record. I probably wouldn't have felt successful. You know, 
and then that's an athlete thing you know lots mm. of athletes who are trying to win the whole time and just keep coming second like if you're a triathlete 10 years ago you were only ever coming third in britain like the brownlee brothers were just killing you like they were just like so imagine going to a race knowing you're going to come third every single time you, you know depend on what your goals were if your goal were to beat everyone else because you knew you could never beat the triath the brownlee brothers then maybe you would feel successful but for me i know i wouldn't feel successful if i didn't break those goals and luckily i have because if i hadn't i don't know that'd be a difficult place for me mm. in my headspace um but definitely i think achievement and working towards something that's potentially outside that's outside of work i think is really important i think we should all have something physical to work towards whatever it is you know something that you know if you want to feel better in life you know eat healthier get fitter spend more time outside and yeah. I think if you have a physical goal, you'll probably naturally do those three things anyway. I had um, Tin Lovejoy okay. yeah. on the podcast from Sunday brunch. He used to be yeah, at Soccer yeah. AM. Yeah, yeah. This was at my old place. And I met he, one of the first interviews I've ever done, actually. And he, he gave this advice. He said, in, in order to feel fulfilled and quite, quite happy, you need three things. You need something that um, is a creative outlet so it's going to stim stimulate your, your creativity something to do with well wellness health fitness and then something that's going to make you money mm -hmm. and he said if you can do all three and mm -hmm. uh, you know and that's part of your your makeup and your pattern each and every single day you should feel fulfilled and you should mm -hmm. have more highs than you should have lows and yeah. i do slightly agree with that yeah. and the other thing as well is i totally agree with you about your purpose and some of these great sayings these great words these great um slogans they are great but they're diluted when they're used and said in the wrong context and and yep. they're, they're chucked around a lot in, in the boxing world people call each other warriors mm. well you start calling someone that has had one or two fights a warrior yeah, they're not a legend. Warrior. you're a yeah. legend mate it's, they're, yeah, it, it they're not it. are they you know you're just saying it because it sounds cool yeah I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, a lot of, let's say, self-help gurus or successful people. And I do honestly believe it, answering the question I, like I said to you is, you either do find that thing that you love and you become really successful at it and you don't feel like you're working because it's something you love. Mm. Or what a lot of my friends have, who have become successful, and even Grant Cardone said this, he said, in actual fact, you don't have to do something you love, but if you've got this goal here, even the thing that you don't love, you'll learn to become really good at it because it's giving you the thing that you do love, whether that's more money, whether that's more time with your family, whether that's traveling the world. So you can sort of indo, you can, you can kind of step over the thing that you hate, even though you've got to do it. Like, let's say sweeping the floor, for example. Mm. You hate doing it, mm. but you know it's going to get you over here. So you just mm. act like you enjoy it. Yeah. And I think the really old cliche thing is like, Muhammad Ali or Tyson said, "I hated training, you know, every moment of training, but I'd done it like I like I like I enjoyed it mm. because they knew that's going to get them to the fight. They're yeah. going to win that fight, mm. become heavyweight champion of the world, get loads of money, get loads of endorsements, and have all the accolades and and, and the legacy. So I think it's about conditioning your mind and attacking everything like you do enjoy it." Um, two more questions, really. I want to ask you about your beard because <laughs> people have asked you about your beard. Is that connected to your world's uh, records like do you yeah. feel like if you chopped off the beard the yeah. world records are under risk I think so I feel like it's Samson <laughs> and Goliath scenario I grew it when I swam the length of Britain because it shielded my face from jellyfish so the beard actually stopped the tentacles like hitting my skin 
So I grew it then and then I did shave it off for charity once after that. So it was 10 years ago. And then I've had it, had it ever since. My wife's never seen me without a beard. She likes the beard. So I'm scared of getting divorced. Uh, I think it gives me superpowers and I'm lazy. So, you know, <laughs> I don't do any like grooming or no beard oils, none of that. It just is what it is. And um, uh, yeah, so it's here forever, I guess. My last question, and I feel like you've slightly touched on it, but this is how I close on my podcast. I've got my own mantra. Okay. It goes like this. Be happy, never content. Mm-hmm. I've got my own interpretation of what it means. Sean Conway, if I were to ask you of your own interpretation of what be happy, never content means to you. Yeah, so never... Well, you've got to bang on there because... I'm never content with my records. I always feel like I should push the bar up higher or left and right, you know, just go down a different tangent, find new things to chase. I think that's for me, you know, if I was content, you know, 10 years ago, I would never have achieved all the records that I've achieved now. So for me, you know, always look for the next thing to chase. And then that for me will bring fulfillment and, and happiness, I guess. I'm not, I, I'm sort of not that bothered about being happy the whole time, to be honest. I, I, I'm quite good at being miserable. <laughs> the Irish in me, I think. <laughs> so I, I sort of don't really chase happiness ever. I do chase, like, as in, by not being content with something, it forces me to then move to the next thing, move to the next thing. And hopefully that's going upwards until at one point, as we've talked about, <laughs> the, you know, the body will start failing me. But um, yeah, that's for me, it's just keep, keep looking for something to chase keep looking for something to chase good stuff really enjoyed the conversation thank you very much for your time and um maybe when you smash another world record or you've um ticked another box we could do a part two in the future absolutely thank you mate yeah be happy never content thank you very much for subscribing please share the episode and look forward to delivering some more content as the weeks go by thank you very much sean cheers Cheers. nice one